The following podcast uses language that may not be suitable for all fancy tall babies. Ooh, okay. The tallest of the babies. The fanciest. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Better Love Podcast. I'm Troy, playing your host today, and I've got three of my very dear friends and favorite human beings on the planet. We've got someone special. Hey. What's your name? Uh, my name's Andrew. Um, I've been working on um, Tammy Morales' campaign for the past year. I was her field director um, as well as a field organizer. Um, and I've also, I got my politics started with um, Sarah Smith, um, as I've we all know here. Um, I was a canvasser for her, and I also, you know, spent a lot of time with everyone. Uh, and just for anybody listening, Tammy Morales was on our show. She was amazing. And this yeah. is Jay, by the way. And we mentioned you on that show because you're an awesome canvasser for us. And I hear you've done pretty damn well over there, too. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, the thing that's exciting about having you here is that we're going to talk a little bit about your experiences uh, as a you know political. Mm-hmm. Would you consider yourself a political activist? Um. I don't know if I'm so much of an activist. I feel like activists more like a like, like someone a who gets in people's faces and screams yeah, at them. Yeah, okay. like I have respect for activists. People need to be screamed at. Like, yeah, don't get yeah. me wrong, but I think um, I'd call myself an organizer more. Um, I like organizing field for political campaigns. Um, I also like um, organizing at my school, um, trying to get people more aware about the issues and um, get them into campaigns more too. Right on. Well, we're happy to have you. We also have Billiam. Hey, hey. How you doing, Billy? <clears throat> Pretty good. Now you're going to be leaving us soon. We thought the last episode was going to be your last episode. Yeah, why not have uh, make that one the penultimate? Sweet. Well, Bill, uh, you know, we'll just keep you. You don't have to go. Okay. And we also have Jay. Yeah, that's me. I already said hello, but hi again. You've let me out of the dungeon so I think many it- times. At this point, I feel like it's a trend on every podcast episode that I say that just the same as that we mentioned that Bill is lactose intolerant. And uh, we took him out the other night because he is going to leave and treated him to a very nice plate of nachos and some tots with beer cheese. I know you were really appreciative of him, man. Of course. Yeah, we took you out for your going away thing and then proceeded to get violently ill on the beer cheese. Oh, man, it wrecked me. I was down for like three days. It's just it's just today I'm starting to feel better. And, you know, it's really funny because I won't name the establishment because I want you all to discover that in Seattle on your own. Yeah. But the we always say, hey, let's go to this place. And then we and we say, always have fun. Hey, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know that too many foods with dairy in it as an ingredient are necessarily good for you. I will tell you, sir, that cheese Okay. Is here to please. Exclude cheese. Cheese excluded. And beer cheese, Next. I don't know that it counts. Um, I saw this really great ad the other day from Peta where it was just this uh, it was just this like short little I say short little guy, but it wasn't short. I mean he was a normal looking guy sucking from the boob of a very pinup cow. Oh, I and saw that. It was delightful to me because everyone's just like, I am thirsty for that cow. Like, Ew. I would do that cow. And it's just remarkable to me how, just how I, I like some parts of Peta's mission, but other parts go tragically wrong. And that is a good example of that, it. So. They do a lot of, uh, yeah. It, it was so we'll call them Peta. Um, just Peta just seems 
strange in, in context, but. I just, I can't stop thinking of PETA from The Hunger Games when you do that, but I'm sorry, I'm digressing. I know, Pita. I just, I, I can't stop thinking about it. You know what, it. this is our podcast. Let's just go where we need to go. Want to talk about some sexy cows? Then go for it. I'm not sure what the message is there, but I'd like to unpack that later. Well, it's um, utterly ridiculous if you ask me. Boo. I mean, moo. Got him. All right, so why don't we go ahead and suspend this conversation? Um, maybe uh, you can save that for our trip to the therapist together. <laughs> to, yeah. Yeah, I like it. Uh, and let's go to what the shit. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, I, I think, what do we call that? It's what, what the shit. shit. I One like it. time from Andrew. What the shit. That's right. I like it. to the delinquency of a minor. Yeah. Wait, are you a minor still? Yeah, I turn 18 um, in May. I will be able to vote for president, though. Excited about that. So we've got a awesome. really, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, that is actually, it's going to, blend well into the conversation we have later um you know we are gonna uh, roll into big news breakdown we've got a phenomenal discussion some super fun palate cleanser stuff but we're gonna move into some bizarre stories so jay i believe was it you that brought it up or was it you uh who brought up the the whole hurricane oh yeah oh, that Andrew. was me yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Lay, lay it on me talk tell tell the story Okay, so I was just looking, you know, on um, Facebook and I came across a story that one of my friends posted and it was a HuffPost story saying that Axios, um, I don't know what Axios is, but I think it's a news organization, um, said Trump reportedly was discussing how to help um, Florida um, with the hurricane coming in and he thought of the idea, why don't we just nuke the hurricane? And I don't know who thinks that's a great idea, but yeah, that was a what the shit moment, definitely not an old or not a new idea actually yeah no it's phenomenal because actually when i heard that story came out the first thing i do is my my brain gets okay is that actually possible could we actually do that uh and you can which is incredible it is possible to nuke a hurricane out of existence uh however it is such an incredibly bonkers idea that nobody should ever do it yeah it just goes to reiterate this idea that human beings maybe should not try to dominate everything in nature because it seems to be not going so well for us. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And the other piece of this is that um, people presuming that just, you know, it's out at sea and, and that it wouldn't cause a problem. The winds don't stop. No. It, it, it may disperse it, but what you will have is a wave of radiation. Right. That spreads around the globe, by the way. This is... Yeah, I mean, if you, nuke a bon if you nuke a hurricane, you're nuking the world. What no one ever told us was Dr. Strangelo was a little more than a documentary. Well, it's funny, too, because this is such a <laughs> widespread myth that the uh, Hurricane Research Division of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association actually published an article years ago about why don't we, now I'm going to title this, why don't we try to destroy tropical cyclones by nuking them? <laughs> this Jeez. Uh, Would you like to know the answer? Yes. Uh, because a fully developed hurricane can release heat energy at a rate of 5 to 20 to the 10th with 13 zeros following it uh, and convert watts and converts less than 10% of the heat into the mechanical energy. This is the important pit. The heat release is equivalent to a 10 megaton nuclear bomb exploding every 20 minutes, meaning the pressure alone in that environment would create even more concussive 
explosion. I mean, I'm, I'm no, no, just that it, the nuclear bomb would do nothing to it. It's like throwing oh. pebbles at a waterfall. Theoretically, a big enough rock could do it. Probably your nuke's not going to be big enough. Uh, what do they got for flat Earth? Oh, God, I don't know. I mean, there's a great documentary <laughs> called uh, Behind the Curve on Netflix, though, if you haven't watched it. I gotta see it. I haven't watched it. Oh, no, no, I think I did. Is this the where the two get together? They have a little romance? That's called Ro Birds and the Bees. It's a very different documentary, Troy. But, you know, they can still fly on a flat earth, I guess. Uh, oh, yeah, I guess there was that one lady. Yeah, they, they, they had their yeah. own podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah, she was like a well-known YouTuber. Um I don't know. I mean, I guess well-known in the flat earth community and not well-known to me, but it ends up with a beautiful experiment where he tries to, he says, okay, so if I shine a light far enough, if it's a flat earth, then I know it'll hit the same point on it. But if it's a curved earth, it'll miss. Sure enough, he shines the light and it misses the spot he thinks it's going to go. And he just says, I must've done the experiment wrong. Also, that guy is from the Puget Sound, if I'm not mistaken. Didn't he do some of his tests on the shores of like Muckleteo or something? Yeah, it was a different guy there. But one of the ones who was really popular, who I think was with the woman YouTube streamer, he is from the Puget Sound. Uh, he, I don't think he's from the Puget Sound area, but he's from Washington coast. I think one of the islands off the Northwest. Uh, but anyway, very interesting documentary, really good. Uh, and about as reasonable as nuking hurricanes, right? It's almost <laughs> like every scientist could just look at this and say, that's a terrible fucking idea. Why would you do that? Can I just ask everyone? I just want to get kind of a, a view. Your, have you met a flat earther? You know, what's interesting. There's the biggest club at my high school is the flat earth club. What? Yeah. There's a, I want to meet him. I want to talk to him. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I really want to know what's going on at this flat earth club. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Lay it on us. Held in suspense. I like, I have to know this. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many of them are actually flat earthers. The club idea came about when the school, our school announced um, that the club with the most amount of um, like members would get a pizza party. And so oh. two kids, I know the kids, um, went around and recruited 200 people to join a flat earth club. I love I love this because this is a perfect example of like the trolliness of both the, my generation when we were younger and it seems like it's only gotten worse and that's fantastic. I love it. I love this. I, I think that that is um, uh, that kind of thing is certainly it feels um, hi, like high school active, but not but not malicious fun and kind of gaming the system um but do you honestly believe that there are act like i know that there's the club the club sounds like a joke you know like a kind of a play on you know whatever um and it's hilarious that they did it uh, i even i want to talk to them even more like do they meet do they have like a thing do they have to like if they don't meet a certain group rule do they have to pay the pizza party back or like how does that work or how do they prove that they're a legitimate you know, society of flat earth teens. Yeah. Um, I don't, they've got their pizza party. That's what they wanted. Um, they meet every <laughs> month. That was part of the requirements to be of an official club. Um, I don't, I don't know if they believe in flat. Well, actually I'm pretty sure they don't, but, um, one of the criteria for being a flat earth club is you, you do have to say you are a flat earther. So they will never, um, admit 
that they're not a flat earther, but you know, we have a group um, of 200 people at the school who are firmly saying to everyone that they meet, yeah, I'm a flat earther. They have taken the oath. Okay, uh, Bill, we'll go to you, then we've well, got to the next you, subject you're, coming you're, up. You're going to have to follow up with a potential head count of like who actually believes this. And then it's like, can you just say, oh, yeah, I'm a flat earther who also believes in spheres, right? You know, so. <laughs> Grab, yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, so we're going to move on to the next subject. Uh, we got a couple really good ones, and I don't want to skip them. Um, so, Jay, you came across uh, a article written that I felt like the headline I needed you to say it a couple times because it wasn't quite resonating. Stories. Oh, and yes. The number of them. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, lay it on me. They are uh, stories about everyone's favorite modern American superhero. Yeah, I, you're not going to guess this one. It's Florida Man. Fluoride uh, man. Uh, yeah, fluoride man. He he cleans the water. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. Doesn't live in Flint, Michigan, surprisingly. No, yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's all a conspiracy to what control the human emotions or something. Yeah. Uh this is I love Florida man quotes because I don't know what it is about Florida, but every year and every month and every day of the year it seems like uh which according to this article is true, there's just some ridiculous stuff that happens over there. Well, Adam Johnson and Nemus Shirazi over at Citations Needed actually have a pretty solid episode where they break down a lot of the dynamics, that, um, the media and political and economic and social dynamics that kind of promote these kind of stories. But even they acknowledged, I think at the beginning of the episode, like they're still wild and like just kind of eye catching and it, almost sad to say it entertaining kind of kind of stories. Yeah. And all right. Well, let me let me grab a couple of these because I think these are really, really powerful. Um, and just they'll, they'll move you, Troy. Uh, February 1st, a man actually punted a rabid coyote in Kissimmee. Kissimmee? Kissimmee? I don't Kissimmee? Know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think you, I think you might have said it right the first time I've not been there. But uh... so again, I'm going to repeat this. A man punted a rabid coyote. This made the news. So a rabid coyote and he he would have picked it up and dropped, kicked it into the sunset. That's exactly right. <laughs> February 5th. February 5th. Okay. Florida men accused of smearing feces on crunch fitness bathroom and sauna. Mm. February 5th. Classic. Uh, let's <laughs> Classic move. Yeah, Classic move. Yeah. Uh, February 6th. <laughs> Florida man tried to run over sun because he didn't want to take a bath. Well, I'm just saying, if your son is stinking up the joint, just what day? Gotta, of, what day of no bathing were we on here? Yeah, exactly. Clearly, February, did he did he look like a coyote? <laughs> February seventh, Florida man dances through DUI sobriety test. Oh hell, that could be any state. I was gonna say, I think <laughs> Seattle man might have been on that same dances with the. Flor February eleventh. Florida man recorded himself having sex with dog. Oh, no. Uh, February 12th, Florida man throws burrito in woman's face, cops say, and this has happened before. <laughs> wow, this is so stupid. Wait, I need to, I'm just realizing something. We haven't left, so the, how... We're not even two weeks into February. Sir. We're not two weeks into February. We're still in February. This is yeah. awful. Yeah. Uh, February 14th. <laughs> Just a reminder, this is three days after, or two days after the, bur the burrito incident of That's February in Florida. Before. The burrito-ing. Uh, February 14th, Florida man caught on camera licking doorbell. Oh, I saw the video for that. Yeah. They it, show it. Yeah, it's remarkable. It's a ring. 
it's right here too. Look, you can see it again. It's so gross. He just walks up and just starts licking it. It's and it's just it's this every single day in Florida, every single day. And it's just hard for me to believe this is what's going on. Now, maybe this is just accessibility bias and I'm hearing it all the time. Therefore, I think Florida is crazy. Well, and it's in the cultural moment kind of thing, you know, so people are seeking out a little more. People are putting it out a little more, you know, so it's kind of a symbiotic. thing. Yeah, with the Florida man challenge. You guys heard of that? Yeah, Florida man. And then Donald Glover kind of had it on his show, Atlanta. It got popularized there, too. Well, it was so. Here's my. So I've seen Florida Man has been a thing for for a long time. Um, it would be an interesting sort of cultural thing to kind of run down and find out, because that stuff, those clusters of things that go on, are noticed because they're clusters of things. You know, there we don't all need to have you know a degree in analytics to say, hey, it seems like a lot of weird stuff is going on down there in America's penis. Well, it doesn't make you think too, like if out here in Seattle, we were to have something similar, what would it be like? What would Seattle man be like? Oh yeah. A vegan. <laughs> oh, yelling at McDonald's eaters probably. Uh, or just so, yelling at their friend at a potluck. So I did a little research while we were sitting here. Hey. And I decided, let's compare that. All right. Uh, woodpecker almost pecks through a whole utility pole. Oh. Yeah. That's actually kind of remarkable. That's really, yeah, that's, that's nice actually. Volunteers rescue tired dog. You very there's a stark contrast. Fourteen free pianos available in SeaTac. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> THC in Seattle water, highest detected in the world. We were one of the first to report that. <laughs> we, that is the most Seattle story ever. <laughs> oh, you know they also another angle on that. Coffee, a lot of coffee, a lot of caffeine out in the water. Um, tech pros, yeah, a R- lot of tech R- pros out in the water. Richest man in the world who seems content to consign the world to... Can we say universe, please? Environmental degradation. Can we say universe, please? And one more callback to our conversation earlier. Man with AK-47 blocks road screams about lizard people. Wait, that's Seattle? Yeah, that is the most Washington thing. I mean, we're conspiracy theorists. We like guns. Sounds real Enum Claw. Yeah, it's that's a Washington one. So uh, it's just really funny to me to hear the difference between the two. But they are definitely all things that made me say, what the shit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, chock full of what the shit. And I'm still trying to process that. But I'd like to move to our final what the shit, which is actually, I think, the the most hilarious. We had a... A VIP guest oh, here in the city. Um, it was presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren. Hello. And she came to speak to a, th- a huge group of people. 15,000? Yeah, 15. almost as big as Bernie's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired. Well, <laughs> pardon me, Bernie bro. Can I finish my sentence? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Jokes. Um, but so... She came there to speak to Seattle and she had some nice things to say about some of the local flora, fauna, and elected official. Um, whose was this? Was this you or was this Andrew? Yeah. What, did you go? Did you see or did you just hear of it? No, yeah, I just heard of it. I, I watched her live stream of the whole thing and 
Yeah, where she opened up with Jenny Durkin at Progressive Mayor for Progressive City. And like I could tell in the crowd, too, like the cheers were noticeably quieter for good reason. And that just that lost me right there. I was like, what the shit is she doing? Exactly. And I think the other thing that I loved is that there, that it got noticeably quieter with the group. But the screams on Twitter when it like was so, it was so loud. Everybody was like, what? It was one of those moments where you're like, oh, they didn't prepare. They didn't prepare her. I, I think Bernie's got it better. This is, you know, there are progressive elements to this city. But let's be honest. If you want to really describe this city, call it what it is. It's a gilded city. Yeah, you, but it's you also. You have a few like uber wealthy interests here dominating virtually everything. And you have a lot of fight back against that. A lot of fight back. Absolutely. And what I think is just bizarre is that Durkin in no way shape or form could claim to be nor would want to be associated with progressive like she's not progressive right. and warren just wasn't prepped mm. uh, here's the thing i think is really interesting about warren i want to be clear i like her i think out of i do too every woman running yeah. um i think i would rather oh man i really hesitate to say i'd rather have gabbard more i i think i'd more closely align with warren's policies between the two of them um, and I think she's a powerful woman. I think she's done an amazing job getting to the place she is. And she's done a really nice job of getting wonky and she's known for always having a plan, all kinds of good stuff. However, I also think she's this weird intersectional candidate that represents both corporate interests and the populist movement that's kind of rising up in uh, politics right now, which yeah. we ran on. And when I say populist, I mean, really just we represent people first. That's really what it's supposed to be. Right. Because that's what it's got to be. And Warren hasn't committed to not taking corporate funds in the general election. In fact, she said flat out that she will take corporate funds in the general election. Uh, and there's, I really feel like she's this weird intersectional candidate. And I have a problem with that. I much prefer Bernie's stance right now, which is I'm not going to take any corporate money and I will never take corporate money. Yeah, that's definitely, you nailed it. Why the difference between um, Bernie and Warren Um because there are a lot of people who are wondering the difference between Bernie and Warren because they have the same policies. It's really um, how Warren is talking, people she's um, associating herself with. Um, I think her endorsement of Hillary Clinton in the 2016 primaries kind of sums it up. She also did the same thing um, um, a few weeks ago when she went into um, the DNC establishment and it kind of assured the establishment there, don't worry, I'm not going to change this whole thing. Um and Biden did the same thing. Um, Biden's a different story because he's. But, he's uh, but what I'm not saying Warren. is to to have that association with something that he said almost verbatim is bizarre to me. But what is there's some people that have some consternation over her real concern over her position on war. Mm, yeah, I, I have to be honest. I don't really know her foreign policy. I don't know if she knows a lot about her own for, foreign policy. She hasn't really talked about that much. But she, yeah, she's had said some pro-Israel things. Um, n yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad that she finally apologized for the ridiculous DNA thing. But the thing that really is odd to me is I, I'm very curious about what we'll see those two do because they are being very nice to each other. Well, I, one more thing to highlight about Warren, when we're talking about Warren versus Sanders, I think it's the student loan, uh, the progression of student loan forgiveness policy that happened just in this election cycle. Yeah. Uh, Warren went from, well, well, we'll forgive X amount of dollars depending on your income, right? And it actually, oh, when you went over it, it was still a sizable amount. And then she went, Bernie came out and was like, actually, 
we're just going to forgive all the dams debt. That's what we're going to do. Uh, we want tuition free. And then Warren matched that pace. And I think this is the thing that's really interesting for me is I think Warren doesn't always take the boldest stance possible. And that is what I'm critical of her about. Is, I don't think that's always a problem, though, because her policies, like, on a broad scale are good, and I definitely agree with them. There's nothing wrong with her policy-wise. I think it's just the fact that she um, does what the party says um, at every single more time. More so than, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She, Bill, she's ahead. much more susceptible to corporate donations and to the, the party apparatus than Sanders is. And my my personal belief is, like, if Sanders is in a race, why would you vote for one of his replicants, which is kind of like Warren uh yang gabbard right verse it's kind of like you've got biden all his replicants i mean for me as long as bernie's in that why i don't even really care too much about anybody else i only care in so much as the influence that uh a veep would have on policy and and um on uh very specifically the uh warren's history on militarism and uh it is it is the polar opposite of progressive values of no more war yeah i will say that is actually the one thing i'm critical about sanders of and i i really wish we had a progressive candidate that was more anti-war uh, because between the two of them i don't feel like we really have a really great choice uh warren hasn't always been bad uh sanders hasn't always been bad they've had some really good votes and most notably the votes against the iraq war but there's still some opportunities there and how they're continuing to support it. And there's other stuff later that's problematic, like the BDS movement and those kind of things. But I'm sorry, pick, the BDS. Yeah, the boycott, divest, sanctions. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, as we move into the next uh, uh, part of this discussion, I do want to say I wouldn't mind, uh, you know, Warren Sanders, Sanders Warren. A hundred percent. Yeah, I would yeah. say the same thing. Even though I'm kind of like solid in, t in the Bernie camp, I would not... Um, I, I wouldn't be kind of disappointed with Warren. The only thing is like just to hit, kind of build on what you said uh, about like war. If we can't get some strong uh, uh, diplomatic or an not necessarily wait anti-war policy out of Sanders, um, then at some point we do have to like at some point the country is either going to have to acknowledge that it's a, you know, genocidal imp imperialist expansionist power uh, or we're going to have to own up to a lot of our problems, a lot of these policy problems and take streets. I agree. Absolutely. I, mean, I think we, that we are that um, yeah. for sure. We need to take steps to stop. But I'm going to roll us in because this is all sort of related. But I this is the one thing. And, and, and Jay, as you kind of explained, um, you know, it's time for us to roll into one of my favorite segments. It is. is it? And in the latest breaking news. Wow. So unpack this for me, J. Smith. All right. So let's let's talk about our favorite boy, the commander in chief, as loath as I am to say those words. DJ Trumpo. He's our man, I guess, kind of. Maybe not my man. Oh, he's, not my president. He's a man. Uh, so very recently, Donald Trump did two things which I think are really problematic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Only two? <laughs> this is a slow right. news day. Right. <laughs> uh, he reshared a video on Twitter 
from a supporter. Um, I don't have the supporter's name in front of me right now, but it doesn't matter. He reshared a video on it where he was highlighting Trump's greatest achievements in his years in office. And it was the lowest or the strongest economy in years, the lowest unemployment, illegal aliens deported. It was another one that they had there. They had a bull with big old swinging testicles to talk about the stock market. It's real. It's in there. It's what? Like actual bulls? Like, I mean, actual bull balls? It was the bull statue. I almost That's... said hu- human, <laughs> real human bull balls. It, it was like truck nuts without the truck, but a bull. Oh, so they animated <laughs> the, the big nuts on the on the brass. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So it's yeah, that. just so they would swing around a little bit, just so you know how big and strong Donald Trump's testicles Clang, are. clang, gotcha. Uh, and then they ended it with a delightful little logo uh, of a lion. And that's a little bit problematic, and uh, we should talk about why that's problematic. Uh, the first reason is because the lion is actually a well-known symbol of fascists. I uh, did not know that, actually. Yeah, Benito Mussolini said that he would rather spend one year as a lion than a hundred years as a sheep. Oh, gotcha. So what about, like, MGM and all that? Like, that's, they use their, the lion as their logo, right? Like, Yeah, um, I don't know if that one was necessarily fascist. That might have just been a dank ass roaring lion but (laughs) that it's part of it right so the logo itself was actually from an organization that was tweeted out um back in 2016 Uh, the organization's name is vdare now vdare is interesting because they are a well-known white supremacist news outlet and the original post and i'm going to read it to you from vdare says trump takes every original colony except New Jersey, which has not voted yet, confirmed for the new Continental Army flag. This is straight um, up geez. callbacks. And they reference things about how they're going to protect the racial and cultural identity of America, how they're going to make sure that uh, they post a bunch of anti-Semitic stuff. They do all these things, right? This is really problematic because this is Trump literally endorsing white supremacist imagery and symbolism. And to me, that is a huge, huge issue. And we've talked about this on, um, and, and it bears repeating only in that the idea that we have a 400% increase in hate crimes in Seattle alone, that's where the stuff is coming from. I, I am trying to wrap my mind around what he, he, does he feel like he's trolling? Is that what he's doing? Is he literally just, I mean, systemic and actual outright flagrant racism here in Seattle, it's happening. I and mean, we, we, oh, we have yeah. people clashing in here and around the Northwest because of his rhetoric. What the hell? Well, just to comment on the Northwest stuff too, we just had the Proud Boys rioting more or less down in Portland not so long ago. And Andy No was part of that movement who, by the way, just got let go from Quillette, even though Quillette is saying that he, they didn't let him go. They totally let him go because he was associated with the Proud Boys movement talking about starting violence. And they said, yeah, yeah, they were heard on a recording. uh, Yeah, because some good old comrade infiltrated their group and recorded their conversations. So uh, the second thing he did, and this is this is just a testament to how far white supremacy has actually infiltrated our society was the Department of Justice shared a blog post in an email 
an internal email linking to that VDARE website in which it was referencing an anti-Semitic screed all in the same week that Donald Trump says Jews are disloyal if they don't, uh, if they don't actually support Israel. Was that a week after he announced that he was the king of the Jews? It's in the same kind of like... Sphere of... I hesitate to say apathetic, but just totalitarian blur that is the Trump presidency right now. But Well, they're they're reaching for any and everything because they know that the economy's kind of running out of steam. They don't have any ideas on how to fix it. Their big idea was a huge tax cut that went pretty much straight to the wealthy. Wages are still low. Rents are still high. The environment's still kind of degrading. So it's like, eh, you know. And this shit is scary because it works. It works on anybody who is uneducated and doesn't want to see other people as people. So in addition to it being scary because of what it does, the Department of Justice sending out an email to other DOJ people, employed people, a, a link to a 100% unmistakably racist white nationalist site. It It's happening. It's happening right before our eyes. It's just driving me nuts. And nobody seems to care. Right? And that's... That's the thing is it works. You know, it's, it was funny because Sarah and I, we were sitting down, we were watching that movie Black Klansman not so long ago. And which, by the way, that movie is fucking great. Like, I really, really enjoyed it. And the depiction of Ron Stallworth in there and the just the fact that it was a black guy and a Jewish guy messing with a bunch of KKK members was just. Mm, and I that's a it. that's a Netflix jam or is it a uh, you can find it, I'm sure, on some streaming. Service I, I definitely want I, you, like I've heard both of you talk about it and we've talked about it on the show, but I, I want to check that out for sure. It's really good. And the reason it's really good is because it helps you understand just how embedded white supremacy has been to our society. Um, I, I would just give an anecdote here. So I was when I was growing up, I had a good friend um, and I would like to still call him a good friend, though. I don't think him and I are on speaking terms right now. And the reason being, he said the following phrase. The only reason black people are intelligent these days are because they interbred with white women. Oh, my God. And that was about my response. Um, yeah, I there just, has to be a lot go wrong for that those words to come together. Right. Really, right? There has to have been a concerted effort to marry that ideology to the current <laughs> leadership. Yeah. And here's something that actually I picked up as I'm reading this. So the Department of Justice, when they sent that email out to employees, they sent them out to all employees of the immigration courts. Yeah. And that VDARE site, what they do is they target immigration judges directly. Yes. They will take the photos of the immigration judges. They'll write quotes about them and they make them targets. Like They make them literal targets for a right wing violent group. The KKK is violent. That is what they've done. That we have people like the shooter down in El Paso who drives 700 goddamn miles to go out there and kill Hispanic people. Yep, because and like right before that, the governor of Texas said some very anti-immigrant, anti-Hispanic um, things right there. And yeah, I, I, I actually read um, today that the governor did finally say that was partially on me, but... Yeah. And so we were before we started the show, we were talking about, like, do you guys actually think Trump is meaning to do this kind of stuff? And, you know, I think the best case scenario we can say is 
he's either a tool of the white supremacy movement or he is a white supremacist. And I just, I'm having trouble more and more as these things come out. For example, his uh, attack on the, was it the Central Park Five, where he was actually settled a case where he was racially discriminating against people after the Fair Housing Act was passed, where his entire life has been colored, no pun intended, with these racist type of movements and statements. It's just, it's remarkable to me. And it's so easy to trace and track and the way that he uh, utilizes the work of immigrants uh, in his own, you know, uh, I don't want to call it an empire uh, and uh, exploits the labor, but has been known to be racist to say those things in private his actions are racist. I think he's a dumb racist. I think he's just like, I am a blunt instrument and I have problems, which I think might be related to him being raised by a slumlord father who was absolutely taking advantage of uh, people of color to wring out money from them in dumps that had no none of the amenities, breaking all of those rules. I think he grew up in that space and was trained to be that, but I think he's too stupid to be this mastermind of, you know, spreading hate. But his father was a well-known racist. That's the thing is like his father was a well-known racist and he exploited poor people of color to get that kind of thing. And so I just, it's unbelievable to me that people find it so difficult to believe that Trump is this thing that we think he is. But there are millions of people that believe this and they are un by all accounts and by dint of trying there are some people who just won't even take a moment to listen to what anybody has to say about this the proof is right in front of you why can't you see it why do you support this man who is a yeah, racist and he's he clearly is and <clears throat> i've always been kind of curious is it him or you know doing all some of this stuff we know other people have a control of his account not not only that but I, I've always been kind of curious: is it is Stephen Miller or Kellyanne Conway? Are, are are they are they big drivers behind some of this? Like, well, Steve, yeah. And, and I still, I just hate. I, I don't, I don't hate to repeat it, but like, I have to repeat it because, like, the, I, I think we're just going to see a lot more of this. We'll see it on the on state and local levels because this is a party apparatus issue. This is a party that has no legitimate it has legitimacy right now today i think in the kind of modern america mind about uh economics and war policy but from my perspective the from like my lived life the republican party has no legitimacy on, on controlling the and managing the economy and on war and peace policy zero yeah. And so it's funny you mentioned the local level because we are seeing that here in Washington with our representative, Matt Shea, who is also a well-known racist. Also, he hates the gays and wants to march them into a fire and, and was secretly monitoring journalists, wasn't it? Yeah. And he just I think last week he just came out with a piece of legislation saying that um, we need to um, organize our white youth um, to form a military of like radicalized white nationalists in response to ISIS. Have you seen in response to ISIS? That's right. Have you seen this guy, too? He is the poster child for he he's David Dukish. You know, he's got that. 
Uh, of look. course he is. Of course he is. I mean, and this is the thing that gets me. It's like, listen, if you're on the right and you're listening to this thing, I want to first start off by saying, uh, I will. I grew up on the right. I grew up conservative. I know what it's like to be in that environment. But two, you got to come to terms with a simple fact, which is this. Either you are complicit in enabling racists in your party just by voting on bipartisan politic lines by saying it's either red versus blue and I'll vote red because I'd rather vote red than be dead. Or you are in fact a racist. And the funny thing about it is either way you're a racist. It doesn't matter either way you are a racist. Either you're a dumb racist or you're uh, an a active, aggressive, evil racist. Yeah, so this is your chance. You get to wake up. This is your moment where you get to say, you know what, listen, I need to do it. Now, that doesn't mean that what I'm telling you is you have to vote blue no matter who. That's not it at all. But what I am saying is you need to recognize one thing, and that is that the ultra-wealthy pit the working class against each other on lines of race because it helps them not see the truth of the matter, which is we are in a war for class warfare. Bernie Sanders said it the other day, and it's the same thing that's true today. It is about 10 people in the United States who are really working together to put you down and to make sure you live a life of despair and poverty. That was eloquently stated and, and a real problem. Uh, we've talked a lot about the fact that these flyover states and the separation has created this false narrative that there aren't benefits to everybody when it comes to these socialist I'm using in quotes uh, programs and ideas and that is something that benefits all working class people uh, we're going to move on to the next thing you want to throw some out real fast Go yeah for no I just want to say just to, to kind of reiterate the idea that everything's at play don't like just this week uh, Oklahoma, an Oklahoma district judge uh, gave uh, a, a judgment against Johnson & Johnson for I think 572 million dollars for opioids and the state I think had asked uh, or had uh, they had tried to get 17 billion dollars so it was a low judgment for the state they claim between that they got a 273 million dollar judgment i think from purdue pharma um and something else they said uh, that uh, they raised about a billion dollars uh in in the state of oklahoma i think they said that will cover about one year of the current and uh ongoing opioid crisis that this is this is in its uh, third, fourth, fifth year. Who knows at this point? At, I mean, these uh, crisis, or you mean yeah, uh, the uh, opioid, litigation? The opioid crisis. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Many. Yeah, I think yeah. we're we're well into. Uh, maybe even decades. Yeah, so this is Oklahoma that is being drastically affected by Ravaged. the opioid crisis. And this the, the opioids are killing people all over the country. We know the Sacklers at Purdue and Johnson and Johnson, a lot of these other uh, folks knew about this stuff as it was happening. Like... The, the gig's up, man. Well, the other thing, too, is that the families behind, was it Purdue? They moved right. away. But, uh, Bill, one thing about that I wanted to bring up that you actually clued me in on is that litigation, while it is a an amount that does not meet and will it ever meet, you know, I think, you know, many people are just saying, give it up, give them, give them to us. <laughs> you know, like, they don't get that anymore. But this ruling actually opens the door for some other action and, and and just keep in mind this is your hyper marketization this opioid crisis this is your deregulation yes right this is your domination of an industry by a few companies yep okay this this is what inequality looks like this is what market forces at work look like right i do want to ask you though talk to me about the ruling and specific to the while well, the the amount that they were awarded didn't 
they had hoped for more, well, but it, but it opens the door it, for oh, it opens the door absolutely. So uh, w- just br- real briefly, uh, what it does politically is it's just I mean, Repo- like Oklahoma is a traditionally blue state or traditionally red state, you know, within ele- over the last several decades. That doesn't have to be true, right? And then on to the other opioid thing, uh, some of the other opioid cases and stuff. It's like no, uh, the Sacklers have been negotiating uh, potentially. Uh, filing for chapter 11 bankruptcy to put their company into uh, state ownership and then the profits of the company i think will then be used to pay subsequent um uh fines and awards to victims uh of the families that they basically let's be honest murdered and it has a lot of uh impact on future cases much like absolutely much like what happened with uh nicotine and tobacco absolutely Uh, so this is a big deal yeah, and there was this case with uh, Bear Monsanto and the uh, uh, fertilizer chemical glyphosate uh, or glyphosate, and um, they have had, I think, uh, several uh, judgments against the company there, and that will open the door for a tremendous number of lawsuits for these companies. Yeah, he's absolutely right. I just got hit with an ad on Facebook about this too, where with Roundup. Oh yeah, I got one too. Cancer stuff. So this is a huge deal. He's absolutely right about that. We're seeing the fallout from this kind of thing. And Roundup's still available. You can buy it now. Um, Anyway, so all right. So we're gonna take just kind of a little breather. We're gonna uh, come back. We've got uh, some discussions with our our little mer nerd Andrew. But we'll be back. Yeah, because he's a swimmer. Yeah. Listening to our discussion, the big news breakdown, everything. Um, a lot of really crazy topics going on there. And so uh, we live in a crazy, tumultuous time here. So this is going to be a moment where we get a chance to just kind of unwind a little bit, talk about some personal experience. And Andrew is going to join us for that. We're going to talk about his experiences. Um, so I'm really excited. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. I really like that you're doing this today, man. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I've always wanted to be on this podcast. Um, I love talking about canvassing. I think it's. One is how you win campaigns, and two, um, it teaches you a lot about the neighborhood you live in and also about your own political philosophy. Mine has definitely changed through canvassing. Isn't that interesting? It's like when you get a chance to actually go out and talk to people, your opinions might change a little bit. It's weird. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, Well, I've got a couple questions to ask you here, man, and I just want to get a chance to know you to start. So... uh, I'm also sitting down. I forgot to introduce you, Bill. I'm I'm pulling a real Sarah. It's okay. It's fine. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's fine i'm here it's i am fine. here <laughs> all right so just tell us about yourself man like what do you do like what's your age i guess you don't have to share that but like where like what do you do right now talk to me about the, give me an insight into the day in the life of andrew okay cool um the first thing you should know about me is that i'm into politics obviously um i got involved in politics um because of bernie sanders like many people my age um should not be understated the amount of young people he has engaged in the political process. Um, and after Bernie Sanders' loss, I was I was pretty bummed out. And then Trump's victory um, kind of put it over the top for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's wild. I remember that night because I had a meeting with my boss. I was working overnights at the time. And uh, I just was really upset about it. And I ordered a 
a full pizza just for myself to drown my sorrows in the Trump. And Sarah was like throwing up in the bathroom. Anxiety <laughs> was a, it was a total wreck of a night for us. Yeah. Um, I was in denial the whole night. So, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I have a question. So, um, what, uh, do you, do you remember kind of, uh, what your, some of your key issues or, uh, kind of what turned you on to Bernie at the time? Yeah. Um, I think it was, I didn't have a single issue really that drew me into Bernie. It was more that um, I liked his way of talking. He seemed like he was doing it for real. It wasn't just like this weird politics that I just see on the news every time. Um, I think it also helped that my parents, you know, they were Bernie fans too. Um, Yeah. But it actually, because I'm kind of a nerd, um, the data about politics really got me into it. Um, I loved, you know, looking at the county level maps, um, looking at election results as they came in. I was, I watched the Iowa caucus night start to finish, like all six hours of it. Um, so yeah, that really got me like hyper active and like hyper um, into um, cool. politics. Yeah, it's really funny because I think about my experiences growing up and I was kind of politically involved but only in the sense I was politically involved in that I voted the way I was told to vote by my parents. Mm. Uh, it sounds like your experience is wildly different, which I am very appreciative of. Um, and it was awesome because you also volunteered on Sarah's campaign in a really big way. And I was telling you this earlier, I, I think you are our most effective canvasser out of any of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was some very particular issues that you were very passionate about on the campaign. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? I got involved in Sarah's campaign um, because of Justice Democrats. Um, I actually watched this young, super um, passionate woman talk on the Young Turks. Um, her name was Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, and I looked on their Justice Democrats website. She was talking about that. And I found Sarah Smith running in my district. And that was like, holy crap, I'm so lucky I have a candidate running in my district. So yeah, I went involved. I got involved with Sarah that way. Um, so yeah, thank you, AOC. Um, the issues that really I was excited that Sarah was um, talking about um, had to be abolish ICE. That was one I really appreciated her stance on. Um, early on, before it was you know trendy to be abolish ICE, she was pushing it. She was saying we don't need an agency on top of border security to be imprisoning immigrants and terrorizing immigrants um, with a military police force. Oh yeah, we like to call them on the campaign trail corporate brown shirts. Uh, because that's what they are, right? They're a private corporation whose entire job is to police immigrants. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's I mean, insane. and they, it's they operate under the umbrella of the Department of Homes, Homeland Security, right? An organization that war criminal Donald Rumsfeld was hesitant to name because he said it, it, it just sounded too Third Reichish. It's because I think it is. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then on top of ab Abolish Ice was one thing that, um, after I joined the campaign, I was really appreciative of and that was probably like my number one issue. But also um, gun, gun violence, school shootings was a big one for me. Um, I joined actually, I sent my first email to the campaign, reached out the day after the Parkland shootings. Um, Oh, wow. have, have, you ever, have you ever been through a school shooting drill? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think every single school does it these days they'd be crazy not to um considering that there are school shootings so often and mass shootings like even more often than that so yeah that experience of the parkland shooting um was also a real big push for me to get involved in politics and i looked up um my congressman adam smith's nra rating and it was pretty high for a democrat especially representing south seattle um so 
yeah, after I found out Sarah Smith was running and then um, the Parkland shooting um, and Adam's lackluster record on fighting for um, gun reform pushed me into volunteering. Yeah, yeah it's funny too. Uh, I remember one thing that came up on the campaign was that at one point he voted to commend the NRA. Uh, that was back in 2009. It was just, it's remarkable to me. It's the same organization that fights actively to ban any kind of gun control legislation. Oh, yeah. No, I was, yeah. su- I was surprised. Uh, one of Sean King's uh, episodes of The Breakdown, he talked about how uh, the NRA has lobbied and been successfully lobbied state legislators for, legislatures for years to pass laws to uh, prevent localities from being able to ban any type of weapons. So the state would just preempt any type of action on it. And that's exactly why we talk so much about state and local politics here is because uh, we were just talking about Matt Shea, but this stuff is wildly important. This is where real policy that affects your life gets passed. And so uh, do not forget to get involved in state and local stuff. National stuff is a blast, but local stuff really, really matters. Um, So a couple more questions about it and just kind of, I want to understand your mindset and what it is. So there was a very particular event that happened on the campaign um, where I remember you sent a message to our campaign chat talking about how there might have been an active shooter on campus. Can you talk to me a little bit about that experience and like what effect it had and kind of the experiences you've had just being involved in politics in general as kind of a younger person? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was a day, um, and I think it was in late September, and um, there was an announcement in the, um, over the intercom saying there is a shooter in the area. Um, we are going on full lockdown, and everyone was extremely confused. Teachers um, were yanking kids into their classrooms. Um, they were yelling in the halls. Um, people were scared, definitely, because we didn't. All we knew was there was there was an active shooter in the area. Um, And the SPD Twitter also said um, on our exact block, there has been a report of an active shooting. Um, That was, it turned out to not be um, on campus and no one died, fortunately. Um, But that was 10 minutes of our lives at my high school that were scary. People thought it was a real school shooting, yeah. Dude, that had been really just a scary experience for you in general, and I appreciate you sharing it. Um, talk to me a little bit about this. So when you're thinking about that uh, and how important politics is today, uh, there's not a lot of young people that are engaged in it. Yeah. And so you are somebody who is on the younger side. You you carry yourself incredibly well. Don't get me wrong, man. Like You're really involved, and I wish I was as actively involved as you were, are now when I was your age. Um, but what is it, what is that like? What's it like being on the younger side? What is your experience in life like as a result of that? Yeah. Um, I find myself, um, talking, um, and recruiting people to get into politics a lot more these days. My friends, um, I'm kind of always thinking about, um, political issues where it's in the classroom and conversation with my friends, um, in campaigns and in organizing. Um, I think it's, since there aren't many people my age in campaigns, um, it has been at times challenging, especially um, the past summer. I was um, the field director, the main field leader for uh, Tammy Morales's campaign. I would get surprised looks at best. Um, sometimes people would be more condescending. Um, it'd be challenged sometimes. 
explaining things. There's a lot of doubt thrown around, um, I think, around my abilities. Um, and even Tam, I don't blame Tammy at all. I mean, I was a 17-year-old kid running her field game. That's probably something <laughs> that's stressful for her as someone who's worked the past five years to represent South Seattle, and she is going to do an amazing job at it. Absolutely. But yeah, she, I could tell she was at times a little stressed out, as any candidate would be um, yeah, two can, weeks that, from now. That's how campaigns go. Man. Yeah, exactly. High tensions all around. Yeah. It doesn't matter how well the campaign is running. Right. I can I can attest that right. our I think that Tammy's campaign um, ran the best campaign in all of Seattle. Um, we were a very we were one of the most crowded primaries, um, and Tammy walked away with fifty percent. Um, impressive. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, really happy about that. Um, and I'm really proud of Tammy too. She's doing a great job advocating for um, working class communities in the South End. Awesome. What about from like your friends and those kind of things? Do you feel like uh, are, is it, are all your friends pretty well politically engaged now or do you have like friends who don't like to talk to you about politics? What is that like? Um, I found a lot of people at my school and, and my age in general and my social circles are very aware of politics. I think that's something I've never been a teenager at any point in other time in American history, but I think that's something distinctive about our generation. Um, people are posting on social media about that. People are um, aware about the issues and are more knowledgeable on specific well, policy. Well, and I, I know, I think, you know, Extinction Rebellion and uh, Sunrise, among many other groups, uh, they, they are kind of youth-led, youth-organized, youth-founded, youth-led. Yeah, we even have a Jamie Margolin from here in the Pacific Northwest who put together, I think, Project Zero Hour, I think it's called. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's just we have a lot of this going on here. Mm -hmm. I think it's really good. It's funny. Uh, I don't remember anything like this when I was younger, Bill. I don't. I don't remember kids being politically engaged except for one event wherein my church organized a drive out to a abortion protest uh, at the Arizona State Capitol, and I went on that. And that was the only time I can think of being politically engaged. Well, yeah, there weren't as many school shootings in the 90s. Uh, inequality uh, had not creeped uh, to the levels that it's at, though it was well on its way. And there were clear manifestations of inequalities in the 90s, too. It's one of the things that gave us our crime bill that Joe Biden uh, so proudly, um, I guess, wears as a laurel. Uh and uh, we hadn't, I mean, it's- There it, was no rise in fascism there, and there racism. Was, there was no rise in fascism. The racism was still there. I yeah. mean, because America's just got this racist past and racist present that uh, for whatever reason is hard for people to talk about in public discourse uh, or some folks. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, we had not been at war for, uh, imperial war for uh, going on 20 years in the 90s. Well, I, I think it's interesting too, and this is a. I'm going to end the rant right here, just because, just to highlight this. You were born after 9/11, right? Yep. And that that should highlight everything. We're right. It's just remarkable to kind of think about because I remember that moment. I wasn't too far from your age uh, when that happened. So, what do you view your top priorities uh, over the next ten years to be? What do you think the top two or three priorities of your uh, your your age group might be. What do you you know if you and your friends sit or ever sit around and talk about the future? What is what does that look like? Yeah, um, the big ones right now are obviously climate change, combating climate change, um, and I think my generation is really seeing the effects of ICE and our immigration laws. Um, 
every single um, person I talk to at my school, which is a 90% non-white school, say we need immigration reform um, and caging kids is immoral. And I and we all, it's like shameful that our country, the moral leader of the free world is caging children. And it's a remarkable that it's even something that's up for political debate right now. Um, that I can't focus on this too long because it honestly just makes me sick to think about. Um, yeah. So let's pivot to something maybe a little bit different. Um, let's think about this. So what are your like iconic experiences, right? So people, when they, they think they hear like, wait a minute, you go out canvassing, Andrew, and they think you're knocking on people's door. That's typically associated with like Jehovah witnesses or, uh, evangelical Christians. Um, you might be evangelical, but definitely not about Christianity. So talk to me about like, what is your, what are your experiences been like going out there? Like what's it actually been like knocking doors? And do you have a an experience you can kind of think of that really captures that? Um, on a broad scale, just kind of looking back at my, I don't know how many thousands of doors I've knocked on, um, there is a huge disparity between um, what groups um, are politically engaged and what um, people groups that um, political parties and campaigns and candidates reach out to. Um, when you go canvassing in places like Skyway or in South King County, you get a lot of people who are really confused about me. Like, why are you talking to me about politics? And they just want me to, you know, get off their property. Um, and those people also in general don't vote as often. Those people, those areas have lower voter turnout. Um, so that, that's, that speaks more to, I or speaks a lot to our, um, class disparity and our um, income inequality in this country. Politics is not something that everyone has the privilege in engaging in, and that's a huge problem, whether that be, you know, the ability to go out to a rally or to an organizing meeting. People can't take the time out of their, you know, long hours at work to organize amongst each other, and people, you know, don't have the time to get out and vote um, often. Um, that's not so much of a problem, I think, in Washington State. We have pretty good voter laws, in my opinion, but like nationwide, um, our poor communities and our communities of color don't get enough attention um, by our politicians. Uh, on a more, going into distinctive conversations I had, um, this past summer, um, while I was um, working for Tammy Morales, um, I talked to this one woman who um, was sick and tired of our current city council, which um, I am too, um, except she was she um, viewed Tammy as a part of the problem, which was interesting to me. And um, as I talked more and more about her or with her, um, especially about homelessness, that was her number one issue, I realized that she was conflating um progressivism or leftism with liberalism and once i realized that and explained to her how tammy is different from our current um i will admit, liberal city council um economically liberal city council um she realized that there was a difference between tammy and liberalism um economic liberalism and i just want to know okay so a lot of our listeners maybe aren't familiar with that distinction uh, can you explain it to them? Yeah. Um, Andrew, I think you're exactly right about it. Um, when you think about what economic liberalism, it has two tenets to it. One is simply that competition is the force that drives all change. That means that if it's in your free market, you want to foster competition. The best way to foster competition is that you have an unregulated market. And that means everybody is going to be good and there isn't going to be any kind of issue. 
a true leftism though, right? And now we're not necessarily talking about communism or Marxism or anything like that. It's something that prioritizes human rights above profits. And that's really, I think, the most critical distinction that you've got to make. Profit alone is not enough to get you the best outcome. It isn't a thing that does that. And the problem is that people think if we just give corporations the option to do it, if we just give enough choices out there, right? And that's the heart of what liberal means is that you have free choice that everything will be okay. But the reality is it just leads us to this runaway effect like you're talking about here in Seattle where we see corporations like Amazon literally putting their balls in the middle of the city. Or the opioid crisis or putting chemicals that poison and kill human beings in uh into our agricultural processes yeah yeah also affordable housing public private partnerships with housing it doesn't guarantee housing for everyone it just means that housing is maybe a little more affordable but in the end um people are still profiting off of it well after all it was their choice not to have a house right and that's what it comes (laughs) down to um that's really interesting man um i i'm I'm kind of interested to hear how that has happened. So um, when you're thinking kind of about your experiences in Seattle, right, because you spent a lot of time here, at least in um, Seattle, in the second district and in kind of like the South King County areas, what has been your overall view? Is there some kind of like shift that's happened in Seattle? What do you think? Yeah, going back to that conversation where um, I was talking to a woman about homelessness and she was... um, She was um, conflating liberalism with leftism or basically um, our current city council with what Tammy Morales was pushing. Um, She realized later that there was a difference between our current city council and Tammy Morales, um, but she was clearly opposed to um, what our current city council was doing. And I think when we look at election results in city council, we're seeing that too. Seattle as a whole is abandoning this idea of economic liberalism and public-private partnerships with things like housing and um, our energy systems. Um, They're switching either to a more conservative um, viewpoint that can be um, highlighted, especially in um, District 5, which is in the north end of Seattle, um, and Davison Sattler got um, over 25% and her, uh, the liberal incumbent, um, Deborah Juarez, got less than 50% and it wasn't even really a crowded race. Um, people were shifting towards that um, right-wing candidate um, and Davison Sattler. Um, also in District 2, um, Mark Solomon, who um, was the more mainstream candidate backed by corporations um, and is a proponent of economic liberalism, in my opinion, Um, only got 23% despite $80,000 being spent um, for him against Tammy, who represents more of a leftist viewpoint, and against Ari Hoffman, who was um, the right-wing Canada district. Um, Despite the mayor coming after both Ari um, and Tammy um, and all these corporate um, donations, Ari still got 13% in one of the most progressive districts in Seattle, and Tammy got over 50% in a crowded primary. One thing I do want to point out is Ari spent $65,000 on 1,800 votes, and that is just... mm, Wow. Like, we had Ari on the show, as many people will remember, and uh, the funny thing is he's actually not that awful of a person in person. Uh, He's actually kind of fun to talk to, but there's just some awful policy there and so uh, but i was really glad to hear that seattle as a whole kind of organizing there's a lot of good work by local people to kind of put that message out there and i thought that was great yeah but i think 13 percent for our offman is still scary um especially in south seattle south seattle is 
besides maybe Shamas District, the most progressive city council district. Um, we are like 67, two thirds non-white. Um, and Ari Hoffman getting 13% is still pretty scary. He would, and I think he said in an interview with Kraska that he's interested in doing a citywide race in 2021. Um, and I believe him when he says he wants to do that. And I also believe that this shift um, away from liberalism and towards either right-wing politics or social um, leftism or socialism um, will allow Ari Hoffman to probably have success in a mayoral race. Um, I believe that Jenny Durkin is not a lock by any means to be in, in even in the general in 2021. Um, I think... 2021 will be a defining moment for Seattle politics. We'll see um, the fall of, you know, mainstream centrism and liberalism and a shift towards either leftism and or right wing politics. And it'll be really interesting here because both sides, while the corporate side will forever be uh, more heavily funded. The voucher program is going to have an impact. The voucher program is is uh, I, I look forward to uh, a lot of the a lot of analyses uh, of the voucher program during this cycle. It's been a really interesting thing to kind of watch unfold. And yeah. I think it'll play a role in the mayoral race in the future, too. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to just see how that all works out. Um, and it's absolutely a great model for something we could look at doing on a federal level. I'm not so sure it would be that exact model, but I do think that it's a solid, solid way to go. Um so one other question that I had for you here, and this is kind of like a broader scope one. So you worked on a national campaign and you've worked on a local campaign now, and you were mentioning that there were some vast differences between the two. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, on a national campaign, one, people were just kind of more engaged with it. Um, people had issues that they cared about. Um, but those issues were a lot more broad um, than the issues I was hearing um, campaigning for Tammy Morales. Um, on Tammy's campaign, which is city council, um, people were mainly talking about gentrification, displacement, and homelessness. Um and Sarah's hmm? those are uh, uh, two concepts that kind of have uh, a little bit of interlinking. Yeah, they're they're the same. Yeah, basically housing was the main topic um in city council, but when I was canvassing for Sarah um for a con a congressional race for a federal office, um the issues you know spanned any from healthcare um to um the environment, um immigration, um everything like that. Um, that kind of concerned me um, in a way that looking back, people weren't thinking about housing as a federal issue because I very much think it is. When we look at cities like San Francisco, um, L.A., New York, there are housing issues in virtually every single major U.S. city. Um, and I think housing definitely should be a national issue. It is, right? That's why there's yeah. a housing and urban development that Ben Carson, whom we've all forgotten about, <laughs> currently heads. And so it's, there's an entire department about it. Like there's an yeah. entire Yeah, but department. it's not talking, I don't, people don't think of it that way. People yeah. like on the campaign trail, they don't talk about housing um, during the debates with Sarah and even at the presidential level too. Yeah, and I can tell you just like, I've been up and down the West Coast several times this past year on uh, train and bus and stuff. And you can just, uh, you know, uh, housing is a huge issue all up and down this coast it's a huge issue in new york it's a huge issue in chicago it is a national crisis and it, like the opioid crisis it's kind of like only one it's one crisis of many yeah well it's shocking because when you think about okay what are the basic human rights uh, having shelter 
is probably pretty high up there on that list for most people, but we make it illegal to not have shelter, which means you have to participate in the game, right? You have to participate in working for companies that will pay you just nothing. So that way you can be on a government assistance program to get into housing. But then we slash the funding for the government assistance programs leading to more people not having shelters, which is then illegal. And it's this awful, awful cycle that just results in people not living like humans should. One more manifestation of inequality. Yeah. So was the reception a little bit different when you were on uh, talking about local issues versus federal issues? Yeah. um, I think, weirdly enough, people were more willing to accept leftist policies like Medicare for All and universal health coverage when I was on Sarah's campaign, on the national campaign. Um, People were a little more hesitant to support leftist policies on a local level. Um, I don't know. I have a theory that that's because Amazon and um, the Chamber of Commerce done a very effective job at demonizing Shama Sawant um, and um, universal housing programs and rent control and things like that, um, which is unfortunate. But yeah, that was one of the biggest things. Also, another distinctive thing between Sarah's race and Tammy's um, race was that people were a bit more hesitant to support um, leftist policy, took a bit more explaining to do, um, and there was a lot more general um, negative feelings attached to um, leftist policies. But obviously, that didn't turn out to be um, a big deal because... um, leftists did pretty well in um across the board in city council and we did pretty well here in seattle too on sarah's campaign too i mean eighty thousand people voting for her is nothing to sneeze at and uh i would love to believe that we had a positive effect on these races because i think we did like ultimately yeah and there's a definite definite shift happening locally in many cities uh as we've we saw with uh aoc and caban coming and several others uh getting elected to the state legislature in new york uh, and uh, in Illinois, there were several DSA members that got on the uh, city council. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of there's a lot of movement out there, a lot of a lot of action. All right, I got one more question for you, Andrew, and then uh, I'll let you off the hook, and we can get into our palate cleanser, man. Um, so, if you could think about just one thing, one thing to talk about with other people who are your age, that you were saying, this is the thing I want you to know. What would it be? climate change is going to kill us all. I would say I think that being in politics um, is no longer really an option for people of my generation. Um, You can't just say, oh, I don't do politics or I don't care about politics because it is something that will not caring about politics, not being active, it will literally kill us. And just to follow that up, it already is. And that's the thing that's incredible. People are losing their jobs. They're losing their homes. They're dying without health care. They're dying because they have to choose a cheaper form of insulin. Uh, this is already a dystopian nightmare, and we actually have a chance to fix it. So uh, kudos to you, Andrew, for getting out there and actually working to do that. That's huge. And I know how much of an undertaking it is to get out there and knock doors and be afraid to hear that no, to hear that no, to hear that no. And then to finally, when you hear that yes, how elating that can be. But you're brave, man. You're brave. Yeah, and don't sleep on congressional races too in 2020. Right, yeah. Right. Uh, and who do you support for president in this election cycle? Bernie Sanders, 100%. You heard it here first. The youth support Bernie Sanders. That's a lock. We're going to win it in 2020. All right. I appreciate you sitting down with us, Andrew, man. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Cool. Fun talking. 
Well, hey, that was a super interesting interview with Andrew, and uh, he's still sitting with us, but check it out if you didn't miss that or if you missed all of it. We'll have our full interview linked. Um, we'll make it all happen. Just, you know, the drill, how we do things here. Just listen in and God, it was great. It's really good to actually hear another voice in the crowd, especially somebody who's been out there hitting doors so much as he has. Yeah, you know, and the really good news is that we're going to get this powerhouse of a activist. I'm going to keep calling an you an activist. Organizer, please, Troy. An organizer of activists. Um, but no, we're going to you're going to get more involved and uh you're going to you're going to have a show of your own. You're going to call it Mer Nerd's Revenge. <laughs> Where you'll come come to my home and steal things. Isn't that the, a riot? The title's in a work. Title's in a working phase. <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna workshop that, but Murnerd will definitely be a part of it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, well, you know what time it is, Troy. It's time to cleanse the palate. Yeah, we had some heady stuff to talk about today, and so just some definitely gross stuff. I got yeah. a taste that is unpleasant. Mm-hmm. And so we want to cleanse our palate. So what we're going to do today is we're going to do a couple riddles. Um, we found another BuzzFeed article. Uh, <laughs> we, yeah. BuzzFeed needs to send us a check. Yeah. Because we keep pushing content over to them. But uh, frankly, that's how a lot of people get their news these days. And that is both equally terrifying and delightful to well, me. Well, don't get, I mean, don't get it twisted. BuzzFeed has a very good group of people on their political side and uh, they, they, they break news like they do yeah. they do some deep dives if you can get through like what friends character you gotta get you through are. 30 different articles of listicles yes you know? yeah yeah but until peter thiel try gets mad at them and tries to sink them like he did gawker with you know yeah we got buzzfeed yeah although i have to be honest i don't visit their site too much so maybe I shouldn't who are the buzzfeeds uh, yeah. Well, this is a delightful article from them, and it was published a few years ago, but still relevant to me today, Yeah, uh, which is 18 ridiculously corny riddles you will not be able to solve. And uh, frankly, challenge accepted, motherfuckers. Well, I'm glad that we are doing, um, what was it, how many? 18? Yeah, we're not going to do all 18. No, 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 18 corny riddles, because corn's not with us, and so, so we need corn. to bring a little bit of the corn into. Mm -hmm. If you're out there, corn. We miss you. I don't think she's out there. If you're out there, though, we miss you. She's in here. In, in our hearts. In our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, here we go. I'm going to ask some riddles. Um, and then don't shout out the answer right away. Take a second. Let the listeners think about it. And then we'll go for it, okay? Okay. All right, here we go. Don't be a Sarah. Uh, <laughs> number one, what do you put on a table and cut but never eat? Cheese. I mean a fart. That's Bill. <laughs> what do you put on a table and cut cards? It's a deck of cards. Yeah. That's a good one. Good guess. That's really good. Good yeah. guess. Andrew, you just look stunned over there. You're like, I never heard. What? A, how do you cut a card? How, what do cut the cards mean? You know, when you, uh, like you have to, so you, you shuffle them and then you cut. And so it's, you split it in half or, or some, you know, variation oh, okay. of that. And then, I don't know why it's done. It's yeah, I've some, never heard that phrase. The look on your face as we explain this to you is just delightful <laughs> to me. That's We're all jaded, gambling, drinking, smoking uh -huh. beeps. Um, okay. What is once in a lifetime, twice in a moment, and never in a thousand years? Once in a lifetime, twice in a moment, and never in a thousand years. 
once in a lifetime, twice in a moment. Yeah, no, I'm not getting it. Do you know the answer, though? I have no idea. Nobody? Are we giving up? Yep. It's the letter M. Oh, boo. You really like that one? No, I didn't like it. You didn't like that one? Yeah, I don't think anyone ever guessed that. Uh, you would if you were a super smart riddle man. Yeah, that's true. That's no, true. yes, none of us are smart riddlemen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, all right, here's another, here's another. What can go up a chimney down, but can't go down a chimney up? Up a chimney down, but not down a chimney up. Up your chimney down, but not <laughs> down your... <laughs> yeah. Uh, up your chimney down, but not down your chimney up. Smoke. Charles Dickens. Santa. It's an umbrella. Oh, that is good. That is good. Mm. Also, also, the letter M. Interesting. Yeah, I'm just saying. The lowercase letter M, it is going to get hung it's up. It's going to get hung up in the like flu. Like an umbrella. In the flu. Yeah. Like wrong. an umbrella. I'm imagining like little dangly legs. Yeah. 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 It makes sense. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. This one's easy. You guys should get this. What runs but does not walk makes a sound but does not talk? The toilet. Of course. The letter M. Oh uh, Santa. <laughs> That's not correct. It's not the letter M. It runs. Water? It runs, but does not walk. It talks, but does not. You know, I actually think water is also an answer to this. Now that you've said that, but the answer is a nose. It uh, runs, but also a toilet. Yeah. There are a lot. You've tricked me, Buzzfeed. Yeah. You how have... about one more? Just one. Okay. All right. All right. This was. This is gonna. This is gonna do everything. <laughs> you're trying to do um, a Jedi mind trick. On yeah. Me. You're gonna love this. You throw away the outside and cook the inside. Then you eat the outside and throw away the inside. What am I? Garbage human. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be really funny. So I'm going to repeat the question. You throw away the outside and cook the inside. Then you eat the outside and throw away the inside. What am I? A turd. Still no. I'm dying for the answer. Look on your face. Um, throw away the outside, then you eat the inside. Cook the inside. Oh, cook the inside. You throw away. You eat the outside. Wait, you eat the inside. You Read eat, it again. Okay, all right. One more time for the people in the back. You throw away the outside and cook the inside. Then you eat the outside and throw away the inside. What am I? Why are you cooking? You're Jay. Why are you cooking? So you're cooking the inside for the flavor to throw it away or something? The answer is corn. Oh, she was with us all this time. (laughs) You called her a garbage human. What are these cooking instructions? Yeah, what do you cook on the... You shuck it. You shuck the corn. You boil the corn, typically. You eat the kernels and you throw away the cob. Yep. That is some bullshit. All I've learned is that we suck at riddles as a group. Hey, I don't know. I was going to say gossip, (laughs) but... I eat that gossip up. BuzzFeed, (laughs) your your listicle from three years ago. I actually, yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) These are are stale riddles. Uh, I do want to say, I think I was good. 
I think I performed. I, I think you did remarkably well. <laughs> you would maybe be in the 50th percentile. Yes. Yeah. That's a good thing, right? That's, the That's like half. I actually, yeah. yeah. Actually, consider yourself in the 70th percentile now. 70th percentile. Dudes, I'm almost to the 100th percentile. Oh, consider yourself 100th percentile. Yes. BuzzFeed official. <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoyed riddles. I thought this was fun. I enjoy yeah. all of you. I think you're fun. Yeah. And I think we're done with this episode. I think so, too. Do you want to close it out, Troy? I do. I want to say life's one big riddle. Yeah. With something in the middle. And you cook it and you eat it and you throw it in the fiddle. This is a wildly inaccurate way of eating. <laughs> um, we got some good stuff cooking. Oh, we do. Yeah. So we have got plans aplenty. We've got some uh, guests coming up that I think we will. Uh, it, it'll change up some of the pace of our show. I, we are political nerds and we enjoy it. And there are a lot of important things happening. And so there's really no escape from that. Um, so just get used to it. But we also know that there are a lot of great people doing great work. For instance, I happen to be a census nerd. And we've got the League of Women Voters that uh, one of their representatives is going to come join us to talk about the census and its impact on redistricting here in Washington State. I'm super stoked because I actually really like the League of Women Voters. Everybody I who worked over there was so professional. They put on a couple different uh, debates and they were great. I love them. Yeah, and they're, uh, what's great about this, uh, uh, went and visited uh, El Centro uh, de la Raza where they had uh, community groups from across um, our area and they were all so very passionate about it. And I thought, I really thought that it would be me, an 80-year-old man and an angry grandma, you know, like I just was certain. But it is such a diverse, passionate crowd and these people really, really want to make sure that we get... Everybody counted in a safe, protected way so that we don't run into any issues of fear that people will be deported or any of that stuff. And they're going to invest some um, finances for training and for gathering all that stuff. There's an online component, but we're going to learn all about it and we're going to follow the process so we can share with you what's going on. Yeah. And we got some other stuff cooking. Uh, we've already we started this on Tuesday nights. And we have a group that does it on Friday nights now. Um, hit us up. You can come play the game Seven Days to Die with us. Oh, fun. Um, we got our friend Sauce who's running that. And it's it's a ton of fun. It's like a zombie game. You build bases. It's really cool. It's on the PC. And uh, are, we, are we streaming through our official channel? Or are we... It's right now, it's just through Sauce and I's channels. Um, we don't have it going through the official one yet. But we will be going to that direction. Um so we got some good stuff cooking on the games front too, and uh, we have some reviews in the can too that are going to oh, be coming yeah. out. Oh yeah, that's so. right. We've got some other things uh, cooking uh, along that, and one of them is we have a Discord. Yeah, we do. Do we want to talk about it? Yeah, go for it. Would you like to discourse on the Discord? Let's discourse on the Discord. Um, no, so our Discord uh, has a lot of great people in it, more and more people that I don't know, um, which is alarming and exciting. But we mm -hmm. will actually get, um, we'll do a lot of streaming from there. We're going to bring some guests in that'll talk to us through there. We're going to bring some, um, We, you know, as a person, a nerd that's worked in the video games world, there's a lot of opportunity to talk to some great developers of games that have yet to be released and some indie titles as well. 
Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, we got some great stuff cooking. We got a lot of things moving. Um, moving and, and cooking and moving and cooking. Um, we'll actually provide the Discord link in the show notes. Perfect. Sounds good. All right, guys. Uh, Andrew gets the last word. Cool. Awesome. Um, Works with me. That's two words. <laughs> no. Oh, so here's what we'll say. For the end of this particular episode, we believe it's better left to Andrew. Yeah. Better left to Andrew. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for stealing stuff from my house. Fun. Yeah, it was good. And now that we've said it um, on the actual podcast. Really-